two people that were here as well were you know my wife and, and my brother Brandon who you know the past few years have been absolutely incredible and they've they've just given you know balance to me and what can be a pretty unbalanced lifestyle uh, AFL football you, you you ride the ups and downs and and they've been forever supportive of me so um, yeah 14 years I've, I've rode the wave and it's time to step aside and it's time to let the next group come through and really make something of it and I think this year whilst I haven't played all the games and been in and out with form I think I've still had an impact on the group and I've wanted to maintain a legacy for those guys now to to put their own stamp on it and to to turn the club around again. is a Swans Blog Swans Cast, the original Sydney Swans Weekend Review podcast. We firmly gave 0-6 a foot up the arse and kicked into the curb. You know, at the expense of the once mighty, now a complete rabble, the Melbourne Demons. Listless would be kind. Pathetic a compliment. Garbage a suitable title of honour. As bad as they were, they weren't the worst on the weekend. That dubious honour is shared by the mind-bogglingly bad performances by the two Adelaide teams, Whatever is in the drink over there, I am most definitely not travelling west to drink it. But even with our season almost done and dusted, we can celebrate the career of another much-loved Sydney Swans icon drawing to an end. There's been one player each decade over the last 30 years that has carried the blood, spirit and ethos. Paul Kelly was our Captain Courageous, Brett Kirk our Captain Blood, and Kieran Jack is another icon in our long line of excellent leaders. But where some have failed to match the levels of their contemporaries, Kieran Jack is one of the few great leaders that Sydney has had. Lauded on and off the field, heralded throughout the competition, the tough midfielder made a name for himself as a supremely fit, fierce competitor. While his prime years have passed him by and injuries has curtailed his career, we can still celebrate one of our great leaders. A player that while celebrated now will come to be revered in later years as one of the truly great leaders of the club. On that note, it's time to kick off the show. We've got the review, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the usual stuff. This is your host, Justin, and with me tonight is regular co-host, Joshua Maher. So, Josh, Kieran Jack announced his retirement today. Certainly did. Probably of all the retirements we've had this year, this was the one that I think people absolutely expected to come along. <laughs> yeah. And despite the fact it was absolutely expected, now that it's here, it, I still don't like the feel of it. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. Well, I, I guess we must sort of address that elephant in the room that's kind of sitting in the corner and wants to jump into the uh, middle and, and blow its trumpet, and that is the fact that we've been a little bit critical of Kieran Jack in our podcast this year. But Josh, I feel it hasn't been a like a personal criticism. It's been a performance-based criticism. Absolutely. Now, on saying that, I've always been a massive fan of Kieran Jack, and I still remember... Dan Hanabry in his early years, he said that the whole reason he was able to become an even better player in his third and fourth season was because Kieran Jack took him under his wing and he made him run like no one else, forced him to get fitter, forced him to get stronger. And there are so many stories from the club where Kieran Jack has basically just taken first, second, third year players under his wing and he's just done that. Yep. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right, isn't it? And I think just like our other retirements this year, if you just you just have to look at the press conference today with John Longmire and and and, and John Longmire speaking all those wonderful words about Kieran or what he means to the club and how he started out there. Again, just the fact that our coach gets as emotional as he does about his senior players, I think sort of really speaks to the quality of what he must be. And along with that, you've got other great players, Bloods and players from other clubs who lord just how tough Kieran could be. And even Bob Skilton in his open mic interview um, that was a couple of years ago, he speaks very highly of how tenacious Kieran Jack is or was, I guess is probably the better way to put it, (laughs) as a player. And I think you can sum him up as a player who was not particularly skilled, not particularly talented, with the exception that his talent was, he just worked harder than everybody else. He didn't need to be fancy because he was tougher than you and he would grind you into the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And he was one of the few midfielders that really, I guess, invented the two-way running midfielder, that sort of style of player. Like your, your Chris Judd, he he could run two ways, but he's more predominantly a uh, an offensive runner, just like Dangerfield is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Gary Ablett in particular these days. Early in his early career, Gary Ablett was an excellent midfielder. I would take Gary Ablett two thousand and six to two thousand and ten over later years because of his just impact that he had. Mm. But Kieran Jack took took that to another level. Yes, not the most technically gifted player, but his work rate he killed players just <laughs> through his work rate alone. And his ability to evade tackles. He's not a big boy, but he's hes supremely strong for his size. No, he was. And he could tackle much bigger opponents as well and uh, and bring them down. And I guess a bit of that's to do with his sort of rugby league background or his exposure to rugby league, given you know who his father is in, in rugby league circles. Yeah. I think it's really interesting every time we get a retirement and uh, the AFL media and the Swans start putting out footage of players' best moments. Uh, my all-time favourite Kieran Jack moment is his second goal in the 2012 Grand Final. And I furiously went looking around YouTube for that video today, couldn't find it. And then, thankfully, the club put it up on their Facebook page. And I really want people to go back and look at that 30-second that passage of play because I think that whole passage of play sums up what Kieran Jack was for us. So Jude Bolton, I think it is, kicks the ball forward. It goes 65, 70 yards. Mitch Morton gets it. Ends up in a two or one, handballs it to himself, and Kieran Jack runs onto it, or starts running onto it. Our position's a Hawthorne player, snaps a goal with his left foot, and you go, fantastic. Great yep. work, Kieran Jack. Made something to nothing. If you look at the footage, Kieran Jack is behind Jude Bolton when Jude Bolton kicks oh, that yeah. ball. So he had, to, he had to cover 80, 90 metres by this stage to get to this ball. Um, and he just made something from nothing out of nothing but you know hard work, just hard gut running. Um, and you know, get got the got the goal that that even the score up with Hawthorne. Just, I love that passage of play, and I just think it speaks to just what he was as a player. Absolutely, I do remember that goal. I remember that goal very fondly, and that was the goal that really gave us a chance in the grand final to actually go on and win it. We were not quite surging at that point. I think we're still sort of hanging on, but after that, we surged. Yeah, we did. And his ability to cover ground, and he wasn't slow. He wasn't the quickest guy out there, but he certainly wasn't slow. If you had him on the field as a runner, he'd be in your probably quickest 10 to 15% of players out there. Yep. But it was his endurance 
and his ability to keep going again and again and again and again. We put out highlights uh, earlier this year from his uh, 2012 Grand Final, a game on his 250th game, on the eve of that game. And his impact, despite the fact he didn't have that many disposals, he had a massive impact off the ball. And he still had a pretty good game, all things considered. But there there are so many moments of Kieran Jack in his career where he's just taken it to another level or he's just gone that extra extra step that we've all needed or just put in that extra effort to spoil the ball or just make a contest, bring the ball to ground, that sort of thing. And I think it's clear that we've actually missed that over the last couple of years. Yeah, and absolutely. I'd, I'd say it's no coincidence that despite the fact that Hanabry left, Kieran Jack really invented that sort of style of play and we've really, I guess, suffered with his absence from the side, really an ongoing absence since 2017. And I think it's led to a significant change in the style and approach that we play each game because we don't have that elite running fitness anymore and that sort of player that can just keep going and going and going no matter what. No, no, that's exactly right. And and unfortunately for Kieran, that, that the, the one probably skill or physical asset that he brought was that elite two-way gut running. Yeah. And that capacity is to go all, all game. That's the bit that that's left him. So it's like the brain is willing, but the body just <laughs> yeah. can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's why, probably rightly or wrongly, when we've been critical of him this year, it's just because he doesn't have that capacity anymore, which is really sad. Because when you really think about his career and what he's done, if he still had those physical, you know, the, the physical capacity to do that, he could still kill most people in the competition. Yeah. But he just can't get to the contest anymore. Yeah, he's he's lacking that extra burst of pace that he had. And it, it's kind of sad to see it at the moment. And like we've talked about it throughout the season. And my sort of point of view is, I think he's gone on one year too long. Mm. And I still can't wait. As, as good as he was for us six, seven, eight years ago. And, you know, he was the 2010 best and fairest. He was the 2012 premiership player. He was captain from 2013 to 2016. He was in the international team 2010 and 2014. He's been a fantastic player and leader and just member of the squad for us for such a long, sustained period of time, really for about, I'd say about six, seven years. Yep. Which is quite remarkable because a lot of players don't have that longevity at the highest level of their club. And he has been essentially a leader of the club really since 2010. And I still remember thinking it was far back as 2010 that he should be our captain now, back in 2010. Yep. It's just that you had a couple of <laughs> really good players who were already captain at the time. So, but yeah, I mean, look, on that tackle thing, like he was averaging over six tackles a game in 2013. In 2012, mm. just under six tackles a game. Elite. It was elite. It's elite. It's elite. And, you know, he's he was a great, great player. Uh, he was also an All-Australian. So he's had a great career. I, I really respect the career that he's had. And he's unheralded in a lot of ways. But I know that most Sydney Swan supporters certainly love him and appreciate everything that he's done. Yeah, and uh, probably, again, because he wore a red and white jumper, probably underrated. Yeah. <laughs> underrated. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Not not to the levels of Smooch, but he was certainly underrated, I think. <laughs> yeah, Smooch is the uh, the ultimate underrated player. 
it's just a little bit sad, I guess. This year we're seeing four great stalwarts and, and servants of the club. Four players who will no doubt go in and be Hall of Famers for the club. I have absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever. Heath no, Grundy, not that do I. Heath Grundy will probably be the fullback of the century for the club when they redo it in the century's time. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Smith will be back pocket of the century. Jared yep. Mavay will be back flanker of the century. And Kieran Jack will probably make the squad or be on the bench as a, as a small forward. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of sad in a way to see the, uh, the, the school of 2012, so to speak. You know, they're having the off-field reunion now. There's only a few members left. Yeah. Well, we went through this early today. There's only three left. Yep. Yeah. Luke Parker, Josh Kennedy, Josh Kennedy. and Sam Reid. Yep. And we'll lose another one of them in the next year or two. Yeah, we will. We will. It's a massive change of change of guard, really. It's, it's pretty incredible. It is incredible. And if the Jared McVeigh retirement didn't show people that we are well and truly rebuilding our list, this one should really drive it home, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Completely agree on that one. It's just sad to see so many senior players who have been much loved and well-respected, not just in the club, but the wider AFL community leave all at once. But, I mean, on that, I do want to say uh, big congratulations to Jared Ruffett. There's some talk that maybe Hawthorne will try and fit him in again in round 23. He had a bit of a big day out on his uh, what looks to be his final game in AFL mm. football. He did. He had a very big day out. Snag six. Um, because pretty hapless opposition, it must be said. But uh, still, he, he got the he got the boot on the ball and he put him through. And exactly, you know, happened happened at the MCG. So <laughs> yeah. the stage was right. The fans were crazy. Uh, his teammates were still obviously in love with him. Yep. I mean, he's another one of those AFL greats, really, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Another player who carried himself in, you know exceptionally well on and off the field, and he's got four nice big shiny medallions to hang around his neck to show for his efforts. Yeah, he does. Too bad one of those couldn't have been ours in 2014, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, true. That's very true. But then again, I think, I think, I think if people fairly look, fairly look at those two grand finals, yeah, they were the better team in 2012, and we were the better team in 2014. So maybe, maybe we've done a little bit of swapsies there. Yeah, better swapsies. Uh, <laughs> are you talking about 2005, 2006 again? Are you? <laughs> well, it's almost the same thing there, isn't it? Too that in, in except the margin, minutes, except the yeah. margin. Yep. <laughs> except the margins. That's all right. We'll be back with the review right after this break. Oh, he got smashed in the tackle. And then just handball to himself. Well. Jack. Through comes Jack. Kicks it to himself again. Oh, Jack. 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 Goal. That's Jack. Goal to Jack. Jack fell over. Ouch. Seventy. Ball at the bouncing footy. Shell makers of Mitch Morton. Morton wins it. He got the handball away. He'll go after it again. Kieran Jack now is after it. Clinton Yagan is the fray. Jack's going to get it. Jack's going to kick a goal. And now it's time to get back onto the review, Josh. So we finally got rid of 0-6. You know, we kicked him to the curb and we said, you're staying outside tonight, mate. Owen. Yeah, Owen, well, yep. I mean, he is what he is. Yes, Owen Wilson, nice shaggy blonde hair, that charming, charming way about him. He charmed his way into our hearts with six straight losses again. 
No, he didn't. He wasn't charming <laughs> at all. He's like that 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 loser son-in-law who comes around to sleep on the couch. Oh, hopefully none of our listeners are those. <laughs> they sorry, Collingwood, mate. Sorry in advance. Uh, <laughs> I apologise for Josh's demeanour. No, but but we had six good quarters, and then at least six dreadful quarters, and twelve quarters of. Eh, over that sort of month and a half period. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, look at... Uh, again, just look look at the list. Yeah. Look at where the list is at. It's completely explainable. A couple of those losses were really quite narrow. They were. They against were. good teams. It's just... It's not worth worrying about. The only one that I was disappointed with was... Last week. The Port Adelaide game. Yeah. But Port Adelaide... Oh, wow. Port Adelaide. Played well in that game. They've got a very... They've got a substantially better list than we do at the moment. Oh, I don't know about that going on their weekend performance. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, the list is good. I don't want to get it into is. too much, but on the paper, the list is good. And I think they performed somewhere close to where they should always be performing yes, against us. agreed. But clearly they didn't do that this week, no. and we're going to talk about that later. We are. Uh, uh, but it was, a, it was a good effort from us. It was mm. uh, a good, if not slightly ugly, game of football. Uh, it got a little bit wet here and there. But we did put in four solid quarters. And it was great to get our first win in seven games. Unfortunately, we also did equal our 2017 uh, six losses in a row record. So fortunately, we didn't equal 20, uh, not 2013, 1993 on this one. But I think something has to be said about just how utterly dreadful, I'm really kind of almost disgusting Melbourne were throughout that mm. match. They looked completely disinterested. They simply didn't want to be out there, despite the fact that we kicked the three opening goals of the match within five minutes, and then they kicked three of the next four. And it looked like they might actually care about putting in a performance. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I was kind of, for the first, probably the first 10 to 15 minutes of the first quarter, I thought, oh, you know, Melbourne's midfield's shown up. And, and by and large, a couple of them did. I thought thought Clayton Oliver was pretty good for them. Max Gorn uh, was disappointing, despite absolutely demolishing us in hitouts, which was entirely expected. I didn't think Max Gorn gave them around the ground nearly as much no. as he could have or should have. And I uh, just quite frankly looked disinterested at, at, disinterested at some stages. In fact, he was our best ruckman. Uh, the amount of times <laughs> yeah, he smashed that was. ball down the throats of our midfielders was just phenomenal. It was. So I was disappointed. I thought Melbourne would actually give more than that. But, I mean, Melbourne's got some serious issues, especially if Melbourne's forward line is just is utterly dreadful. Yeah. Um, and their back line... I didn't understand that their back line was either far too far up the field or they had two guys behind the ball in open space without an opponent, which meant we had an outnumber in the midfield. And I just could not understand what they were trying to achieve with whatever structure they had on the field. Having said that, when they had those outnumbers in the midfield, I thought we did really well to deal with it. Yeah. We managed to, our tackling pressure was really good. We we stopped them from getting their outside run. And then when we were able to do it, we were able to take it up the corridor. So yeah. I was quite. I was actually. I was quite happy with our midfield this week. I thought they did quite well. They did, despite the fact that uh, there were still a couple of players on Melbourne's side who most definitely got on top as far as stats wise go. Viney had a uh, a pretty decent game. Bradshaw threatened to blow the game open at one point, but what did we score? Seven goals in a row to there about four points or something like that. Yeah, yep. six points. They kicked six points in a row before they finally kicked another goal. Yeah, and that was over nearly two and a half quarters. Yeah, and, uh, and and you know, and, and and again, like it's just it's just the same old same old for them. Their ball delivery was they said it in there a lot, but they delivered their forward lines worse than what we've got. Oh yeah, Melksham really should have had a bag of five or six. Yeah, like, let, let's be serious. But 
I mean, Melksham, he can take a mark, but he can't kick. Like, no. I don't feel threatened when, when Melksham's got a shot on goal. It's like, eh, I don't know, like he's 50-50 your best to get it. Look, it just, it was what it was. On paper again, though, they're a substantially better team than us. Uh, and I think, especially if you look at their performance last year, they're, they're a substantially better team than yeah. what we're fielding. Uh, and, and it just goes to show again that that, that structure, you know, that, that structure and game plan can overcome talent any day of the week if the talent is not structured up itself. And I think Leon Cameron learned that again this week. Yeah. Um, yeah the talent did. just couldn't come over, overcome a good team with a good structure. So it, I, I don't know about you, um, but I, I was happy. I was particularly happy with some of our kids. I thought guys like Ollie Florent were really good. Ollie Florent's had a fantastic back end of the season. I think when he got to game 50, we all kind of went, oh, he should be playing a little bit better than he actually is uh, for 50-gamer. He's really turned it on the last month. Yeah, uh, which is Yeah, which has been really good. I hate to say it. <laughs> I know you're going to disagree with me. I thought Melican was okay this no, week. No, I, I agree. His first quarter oh, was wow. actually pretty good. No, his first quarter was pretty good. I know pre-match went into this going, what the hell is this change? <laughs> And then we saw Alir in Iraq. I'm like, all right, this actually might be a good change. And then I saw Malikin get the first inset mark. I'm like, oh, fine. This is actually going to be a good game for him because Melbourne already looked utterly dreadful going forward. Mm. Yep. So, no, I, I agree. Lewis Malikin, he had a had a good game. But, again, he had an, an absolute brain fade for their first goal where he got sucked into no man's land and Jake Melksham was just hanging out the back and got an easy goal. Yeah. About 25 metres in space. Yep. And that was his opponent. But you're right on Malcolm. He kicked 3-5, easily should have had a couple more goals. But I guess the most frustrating thing was the rush behind that was actually called deliberate. Against Callum Mills. Against Callum Mills, it resulted in a goal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the AFL hasn't said anything about it, so look. I think think they'll, they'll, they'll tip that one off. They have to. They'll have to tip that one off. They won't. Well, actually, no, they don't have to tip them all off, so they're... They're, um, I understand why they paid that one. I disagree with it. I think it's bullshit. I think if it's inside the square, it should be fine. And you, they're probably going to play that game again with that. So what isn't isn't actually being yeah. under pressure. But I can't. I understand why they paid it. Um, but they let's face it. That's not even going to rate a mention this week because they're all hung no. up on the deliberate out of bounds against Gary Ablett, which ended up resulting in a Lions goal in the other game. So, well, he shouldn't have rushed it out. This is true. I had immediate flashbacks to the uh, the deliberate that was ruled against Jared McVeigh uh, when we played Carlton back in, I think it was 2013. Was that against McVeigh or was that against um, Malcheski? No, I think there was, it was one against, against Malcheski, which was eerily similar to what happened in Mills. I can't remember ago. if it was Malcheski or McVeigh. It was one of the two. I'm pretty sure it was McVeigh. He just basically had the ball like that and stepped back across the line yep. and said that he was under pressure. Yeah, and you could kind of see it like fifty-fifty. Yeah, he had opportunity to get it off. In both cases, they were like almost identical. Actually, they're identical in both cases. He had opportunity to get it off, but he had pressure. Yeah, and in the end, he just decided to take it over. Now, pre two thousand and nine, that was a point all every day of the year. But because Hawthorne in two thousand and eight rushed so many behinds, and just kept on taking it over the line in the grand final again and again and again, AFL made. A decision to change it, and they had, mm. and they really stamped down on it the last couple of years. So, but look, in both cases, I mean, fifty-fifty, yes, fifty-fifty, no. But oh, I mean, it was frustrating because that was one of their only goals of the game, really, and it came from a free kick that was so galling to anyone who was a Sydney supporter who was there. It was just, it was just frustrating. 
yeah, it was pretty average, wasn't it? It um, was. I was happy with, with Sammy Reid's game. Uh, I thought he came to play. I'd like to see a heck of a lot more than that, or more consistently than what we got this week. It's always handy when our only tall forward bobs up and kicks three goals, but when you yeah. go three or four weeks, we only kicks one goal. That could <laughs> potentially <laughs> be a problem. Yeah, his form's been a bit of a, a bit of an issue there, but uh, he did pretty well, kicked three goals, so uh, good, good return, good effort there. Yep, uh, Jordan Dawson was very happy with him. Um, yep. Proved that he can tackle. Uh, he banged on two for us. I'm concerned about Papley. He looks like he's limping on his right leg. He only had seven touches for the game. He looks like he's lost a lot of pace in the last couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm pretty um, sort of unhappy with where his fitness is all of a sudden. Despite the fact he kicked two goals, yeah, I thought we needed a lot more out of him, especially when he was playing up the ground. Isaac Heaney, how did you see his game? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, he was in and out, in and out. Looked like a good, good sort of forward threat. It's it's hard because he only had twelve disposals. Mm. So, if we're talking about players, I was impressed by. I thought Ali's game was quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mixed it in defence and in the ruck, and he did it with a plum. I would say uh, Jack Lloyd looked a bit better, but Nick Blakey he looked absolutely fierce, and he played <laughs> in the midfield. He's played in the midfield the last couple of weeks, and he looked really good. I seen him in the back pocket, and I'm like, what the hell is Nick Blakey doing in the back pocket? I look forward, he is nowhere near the forward line. But the one I really liked, actually there's two I really liked, James Bell kicking his mm. first AFL goal and then he just yep. did an indigenous war dance. I loved it. No booze, nothing. <laughs> I don't, even the Melbourne, Melbourne supporters didn't really know what to make of it. But oh, I thought that was brilliant. Uh, but for me, James Rowbottom. Yes. Two Paddle goals. Bump. Two goals. Great game. Uh, he is a fierce little competitor, that one. I love what he's doing. Yeah, he, he has been a fantastic pickup for us, hasn't he? He um, has. Oh, he's well and truly cemented in the senior team now. He will absolutely start round one next year. Yep. Um, I liked I liked the fact we kept Bell in this week, and I liked he showed us a little bit more. In fact, I when when I went back and looked at it later, I, at the end of the game, I thought, geez, Bell had a great game. You know, yeah. and then when I went looked at his numbers, and you go, we only had eight touches, but I feel like he he had he contributed a hell of a lot more than someone who just had eight touches, and I guess that's always a good thing. Yeah, and look, uh, we had Stephen Park down, who's a Swans cast regular, so he was down from Tasmania with several of his friends for the weekend, and we're at the game, and there was one particular passage early in the first quarter. He sort of remarked, "Oh, James Bale, I haven't really seen him. He hasn't really done much. What do you sort of make of?" his game so far and I'm like well just let's see what happens the very next contest he goes in he has three four attempts at getting the ball he eventually gets a handball it actually led to one of our goals mm-hmm. and that was just him cracking in didn't win it cracked in again didn't win it cracked in again finally got the ball got the handball and we got a goal so yeah so he he essentially has four he goes in the contest four times, four times and only gets yeah. one possession out of it but yeah but I just I felt he I feel he had a really good game, and uh, I just didn't think that his stats afterwards showed how much he was involved in in sort of what was going on. Tommy McCartan, I, I don't know. I still don't know whether he's a forward or he's a centre half back. <laughs> got um, two goals, two goals. I mean, you can't complain goals. about that though. But yeah, he's an interesting one. I think they want to make him a bit of a swingman, and I can certainly see the reason as why because he can mark it, he can kick it. And he can certainly go back in defence and mark it and spoil it and play defensively. He's showing that he's quite adept at both 
I was just impressed with his goal kicking off. I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. And there was, we can pretty much wax lyrical about a few more of the players, but I mean, well, pretty happy overall with how a lot of the players come along, but there are still some concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Ronk kind of looked fairly anonymous throughout the game. Yep. Uh, I mean, also the fact that Ryan Clark, he had 20 disposals, yet he had virtually no impact at all. Yeah, well, he's the opposite from Bell, isn't he? Um, 20 disposals and just feels like he wasn't even on the field. Yeah, but again, exactly. I, I don't think... I don't think... Uh, this goes back to the thing I've said for the last three months. 35% disposal efficiency. Yeah, but where did we play him? Like, what I was his role? We played him in the midfield. He was in the midfield. Kieran Jack, believe it or not, was playing back pocket, and he played back pocket pretty much the entire match. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but like, he's, I just feel he's task-specific. If, if if he had been there to do nothing but tag Clayton Oliver, he would have he would have still racked up 20, and you would go, he had a good game. But yeah. because he was just playing loose, he racked up 20, and was just yeah. unsighted. No, I know uh, what you mean. Weirdly enough. And, and I'm actually surprised that his disposal has been, was that bad because he, he's he been going at 70, 80% for several weeks now. Yeah. So particularly bad game uh, for him. Oh, look, you could see it at the ground that he was slaughtering it. So. Look, Clearly it, not a wet weather footballer. No, no. It, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see what the Swans do with him going forward because he's yeah. been in and out. And there are reasons why he's been in and out. And I would say it's fairly obvious why he's been in and out. And I I just, I don't think he's going to get dropped for the last game. I think it might be really harsh. But if he does get dropped, the one player who needs to come in for one last chance has got to be James Rose. You've got to give him at least one more chance. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think they've probably already made their mind up on, on yeah. James Rose. Just before we move on to stats and stuff, though, Someone who definitely needs to be recontracted after that game is Daniel Menzel. That yeah. bloke deserves another contract. Yeah, he's showing that his fitness and strength and agility is improving. Yep. Swans have basically had to rebuild him, just like yep. the Saints did with Hanabry. And he kicked two goals. Uh, honestly, can't complain. Can't complain. And we got him for peanuts. He's definitely worth another 12 month contract. Yep. And to go with two goal kickers, we uh, also had Papley, McCartan, and Dawson. Mm hmm. So Papley finished with seven disposals and two goals. <laughs> that is very unPapley-like figures. No, I think he's injured. Yeah, he de- he does look injured. I'm not gonna not gonna argue with you on that one. Game stats. So, Josh, we were behind five disposals, uh, three fifty-six to three fifty-one. Ten less inside fifties. 55-45, but the one that I really, really like is the fact that we were 20% better inside forward 50. We were 53% to 33%. Yep. That is ridiculous. Yeah, they were woeful. They were. <laughs> it really, really showed with the we've way... Been sitting around 50, we've been sitting around that 45-50 mark all year, though, so that's not exactly new. And we needed around 50 when we are on the going inside forward 50... For 45 times a game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've actually been the most efficient team in the league. So, Hooray for and, us. And, and for a while there, we were most efficient by a long way, simply because we're getting 35 to 40 inside 50s per game. Yep. We were plus 5% in disposal efficiency. Yeah. Uh, we had eight less free kicks. We had 38 less hit outs. Yeah. 
But despite getting smashed in hitouts, we were plus one in clearances and plus one in center clearances. Thanks, Max Gorn. You were our best ruckman. Yeah, but we were smashing them at halftime. We were double their clearances. Yeah. Yeah, we were. We, we were way up on center clearances at halftime. They pulled it back a bit. I think they had one or none. Zero or one at like halftime. They had virtually none. I, I felt like they they I felt like their midfield was a lot better after halftime, yeah. but by then the damage was already done for them. It was. We were negative fifteen contested possessions, which I'm actually shocked to see that number. I thought I thought I felt like we, we didn't lose that component of the game, but the stats don't lie. Uh, we were up three contested marks, six more tackles, and we had holy crap, I <laughs> I, I didn't know this next one. We had 13 less tackles inside yes. 50. That's yeah, I, a, that's I an saw that. that. I saw that, and I just went, how the hell did they only kick, what, like six goals, five, six goals for the match? How? Yeah, five goals for the match. And they had 25 tackles inside 50. Yeah, I know, right? I just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Their conversion was dreadful. Shocking. But even then... They would get the tackle, they get the ball, and then just butcher it. Oh, like hand it over. We had so many rebound 50s just from turnovers. It was insane. Mm. So it was a fairly weird match to watch being there at the ground because you could see that if Melbourne could click at any point, they'd just run over the top. But the Swans were doing just enough to keep their noses in front. And they weren't really scoring heavily or anything like that and you can't really blame the weather because we still were pretty clean in the conditions and it wasn't that wet it just drizzled here and there so it wasn't a proper wet weather game of football but they were awful Melbourne were absolutely dreadful Mm -hmm. so look on that note uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our player of the year votes best bit welcome to intermission back so josh can you please give us the one to five for the player of the year votes absolutely i can on one vote we have mr luke parker with his 25 disposal 13 contested 25 pressure acts eight tackles thank you very much and six clearances pretty good game one vote for luke parker he was pretty solid wasn't he he was two votes mr dane rampy 22 disposals eight marks 515 meters gained Eight rebound 50s, eight one percenters, and had another run in with a goalpost. <laughs> Didn't he actually have a comment about it as well? I, I, I don't know, but he's, he's got a thing about goalposts. <laughs> he does. Uh, three votes. Mr. Josh Kennedy has finally made a reappearance of the votes. 21 disposals, 13 contested, two goal assists, 22 pressure acts, 10 clearances. 10 clearances. My God. Team high. And seven tackles. A pretty solid game from Josh, actually, this week. He was a monster in the first half. I would say he was our best in the first half. Good game. Good game from him. 
where has it been? Yeah, I know, <laughs> it's, right? It's my first thing. I look at that and I go, 10 clearances, seven tackles. Where yep. has that been hiding? Well, he because had nine. as bad as Melbourne were, they're not still not slow. No, and they're still one of the best clearance teams in the league. Yes. They so, can clear it, they just can't score. And yeah. they can't defend either. No, no, they can't. He had nine last week, but the week before he had zero, and he was on a pretty poor run, or very, very lean run for about a month. So mm, there might still be some life in the old man yet. Yes, he's just sort of come right at the at the perfect time. Who's your four and five there? Four votes, and here's another bloke who hasn't been here for a while, Mister Sam Reed. Fourteen disposals, yes. three goals, seven marks, six hitouts, three tackles. Yeah, like it. And this bloke at the top of the ladder. With five votes, Mr. Oliver Florent. Yes, love it. This is a this is a massive game for Ollie for a bloke on fifty two games, twenty eight disposals, twelve contested, one goal assist, three hundred and fifty meters gained, and four clearances. Thank you very much, Mr. Ollie Florent. And he looked like our most threatening player as well. Every time he got the ball, it looked like something was going to happen. Do you know when when he played his fiftieth the other week? I thought. And I know we've already said this earlier that that um, I just felt like he he wasn't doing enough for for a guy with his talent on fifty games, but he has just cut loose in the last month. He really has. Yeah, he's really he's like he's almost doubled his numbers across the board. And I, and if that's what Ollie Florence going to be, mate, I will not be disappointed. Oh yeah, with that he's quick. He um, his skills are generally pretty good. He's a hard worker. And he's got he's got really good endurance, which he probably didn't have that at the start of the season. So he's he's pretty exciting, Ollie Florin. He's a talent. I think he's also, in a way, become confident in his body and, and that and that fact that he is able to withstand AFL football. You yes. could see that in his early years, certainly in his debut season. He was I wouldn't say afraid, but he was certainly not sure of himself as far as whether or not he could physically stand up to league football and yeah, okay, he was a skinny kid when he first came on. Even earlier this year, we talked about it in the podcast earlier this year, that he still looked, I wouldn't say timid, just unsure. He didn't have that confidence. And then there was a certain point, I think it was like round three, round four, where he just clicked. Mm. And then from then on, he just looked like he he felt like he belonged and he's played like it since. But yeah, the last two weeks, I wonder if it's John Longmire going, have a run on the ball, just see what you've got, have a run on the ball, play play. Basically, you play follower. Yes. And I think he's been great for it. And I think the team's benefit from it too. Absolutely. Well, we, we look we look better. We look better when he plays midfield minutes and isn't just stuck it on a wing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we're going to come back at the end of the season with our leaderboard. We are still in catch-up mode there, Josh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, now time for our champions and villains, our Monday champion. So I'm going to kick things off here, Josh. My champion, uh, I would love to have been a Sydney Swans champion, and James Bale would have been an awesome champion. But I've got to be honest, there's uh, as exciting as he was to watch, there's one more thing that was more exciting on the weekend, Josh. This was amazing to see live, just oh, by yeah. the way. The crowd, you could hear it through the TV, was going absolutely bananas. You should have been there. I you wish have I was there. there. <laughs> I wish I was there. It is Lincoln McCarthy taking a screamer and nailing it for Brisbane Lions winning the top of the table clash. And going into the last round first, they've got basically a guaranteed top two finish. Yep. They've gone from basket case to minor, almost minor premier. They've got one game left. 
to become minor premier. That's it. Yep. In two years. Can I, can I want to say that this was a great game to see live, oh, and I don't think... It was a great game to watch. It really well, was. Listening to the commentary, like like the after-game commentary and the way that that people talked about it, it's... It's 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 one of those games that probably looked a, a lot sort of sloppier on the TV. You know, Rowan, Rowan Connolly sort of said in his podcast this week that it looked like neither team sort of really wanted to take the game on, which if you're at the ground just wasn't just wasn't true. You know that Geelong were very good. Geelong smashed him in the middle for most of the day. Oh yeah, um, they were very good at hemming them in, keeping up the sideline. They always had an outnumber behind the pack. They always. You know, were able to make it look like at least they had an outnumber well, on the fat side of the ground, which that stopped. third quarter in particular, they absolutely ripped them to shreds in the last half of that quarter. Oh yeah, yeah, just just shredded them. Managed to keep the Lions from stop switching the ball so they could get out and run. Um, it was very tactical. It was a beautiful game. And then in the last twenty minutes, it was almost like both teams went, "Oh shit, we need to open it up now if we're going to win." And the Lions, once they got the run on, they were amazing to watch. And that. That mark from Lincoln McCarthy and the crowd went absolutely apeshit for the next 10 minutes, just about. He marks it, goals, two and a half minutes later, siren goes. The crowd went absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Never seen anything like it. And uh, one of the things that really made me sort of, you know, it's like that heartwarming thing like I've just had my second shot of whiskey for the night was it was <laughs> lots of elderly couples sort of walking around, you know, the really old faded tatty Fitzroy lines. Yeah. That, you know, old yep. mums crying as they, you know, sort of walked around. And I thought, oh, there's a lot of heart up here in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, the crowd was massive. They were absolutely crazy. It was an amazing game to watch. I absolutely loved it on TV. I can't think of too many people who wouldn't have loved it on TV. And it just looked like an arm wrestle the entire time. Brisbane were threatening the breakout. Geelong had the clinches. And then Geelong just burst out. There was nothing that Stefan Martin could do to stop Geelong just winning the ball out of the centre for half the game. You had Duncan, Dangerfield, uh, Kelly had the ball on a string at times. It was just incredible to watch. But then they just threw caution to the wind and went, screw it, it's now or never, we've got to win it. Yep. And as soon as they did that, it just went from a great game to an amazing game, the way that they just surged and surged and surged, got the ball forward and scored. Yep. Yeah, Geelong really should have won that game comfortably, quite frankly. But the Lions were just tenacious. Oh, look, when you got Charlie Cameron and Lincoln McCarthy in your forward line, shit's going to happen. Yeah, that that's true. Uh, but Lincoln McCarthy doesn't kick enough goals yet. Um, and neither does Eric Hipwood. And I think still too much of their forward line is left up to just Charlie Cameron doing something yeah. amazing. And they had absolutely no answer for Radigalia when they sent him forward, they should have left him down there far more. No one on the Lions defence was going to be able to deal with a Sarah Radical Air. But just an amazing game. And we're still talking about hashtag Lions blog. Yep, yep. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, can you give me your Monday champion, please? Mine is, uh, is this her surname or did she keep her, her maiden name? No, she no, she kept, her, she kept her um, surname. She did, she maiden name. Okay, so Charlotte Goodlett. Um, who's Kieran Jack's wife, is my <laughs> is my hero for the week. Most people will know what I'm talking about here uh, during the just absolutely another cringeworthy roaming Brian segment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brian Taylor went up to Kieran Jack in, in the change rooms after the game, and he and Charlotte was with him, and he said to Charlotte, what would you rate him on a, on a scale of 1 to 10 sort of thing? And she said, I'd give him a 10 out of 10. 
just like Channel 10, who should get the AFL rights back. And I thought that was such a, an amazing burn on Brian Taylor. I laughed my head off. And <laughs> yeah, she's great. just my Sunday champion, or my Monday champion, rather, because <laughs> she she burned Brian Taylor. Oh, I yeah. Thought that was good. And the Swans have got a bit of uh, past history when it comes to BT, the roaming BT, the time that they told him to get stuffed and didn't let him in the rooms. I, yeah, I and he chucked a tantrum about it. Yeah. Chucked a tantrum. I'm trying to innovate, trying to bring something new. Uh, to be honest, no one really wants to see you walk around in the in the club rooms looking like a big old donkey trying to relive your glory days. But yeah, look, we've been saying for a while now on the podcast and on the blog that Sayonara Channel 7, your uh, telecast is absolute garbage. Yeah, uh, their coverage is bad. Their commentary teams are it's just very bad. dreadful. They are. Yeah, but uh, Charlotte Goodlett, yep. you're a hero. Now, time for our villains. And look, mine's a contentious one. I, I think mine is going to be a bit divisive. It's where to begin. So we love cricket. It's kind of hard to be an Australian and not love cricket. Even if you hate cricket, you still watch it. Cricket is the most Aussie thing, and the Ashes is potentially the most Australian thing you could ever be involved in or watch or support. In saying that, we can't be bully boys without copying it, coming back the other way, and Joffre Archer, for me, bowled a scintillating spell, an awesome spell. Their bowling in that third or fourth innings, rather the fourth innings in England, was absolutely amazing. Yeah, okay, Archer was bowling a bit too short. The umpire should have should have got in. But for me, the villains are the people who have gone into the media and they've attacked him. Mm. They've attacked Archer. They've said blah, 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 et cetera, BS, BS, wah, 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 having a whinge. Shut up. Man, if you can't dish it and cop it, then just shut up. We've been yeah. bullying teams for years. Mitchell Johnson, he ended... One of the careers of uh, one of the England bowlers just because he bounced him into submission and he was never the same again. Yeah. And we lauded him for that. I mean, we've said it was one of the most fiercest bowling spells in history of Test cricket. Then we have a guy playing his first match. He's just bouncing everyone out. Yep. Man, yep. If, if, you can't, if you can't take the heat in the kitchen, get the hell out. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It, it was all funny games when, when... On saying that, I still feel really bad that Smith got hit. And I think the umpires probably should have stepped in and said, bowl them more normal line, please, because the pitch was definitely too... It was too paced, and it was uh, very spongy, and it wasn't bouncing consistently at all. No. No, we all thought it was good when Mitchell Johnson was ripping yeah. the heads off Tyler Linders. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Josh, can you please give me your villain? Uh, yep, yeah, and just on... It's actually on the back of the same Lions game, and that is that Chris Scott, the whiny bitch... Um, <laughs> He, he doesn't take losing very well, does he? No, he, he barely takes winning well. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, it was two two bits out of his post post match thing. Uh, one is that how can you say that the guy who just kicked five goals on you wasn't influential in the game, and that was what you know that was regarding to Charlie Cameron. Yeah, and the other one was that he he really 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 brought up again a contentious umpire decision. That was the Gary Ablett deliberate out of bounds. With the ball, look, I mean, the rule sucks. Yeah. It's a 50-50 call. It didn't go his way. And he has a whinge about it, then backs it up with, but it didn't change the outcome of the game. And you sort of want to go, well, What's of course point? that's what you think. Otherwise, you wouldn't be bringing it up. At the end of the day, Geelong dominated 
large parts of that game. Yeah. Failed to put a score on the board, and then the Lions were able to come back from being 16 points down, put the last three goals of the game up, won it by a point. Yep. That's what it boils down to in the end. So Chris Scott, again, is uh, just my villain because he's just a whiny, whiny little bitch. It's high time that the AFL actually uh, put their foot down. And Him and Damien him... Hardwick are the oh, worst coaches for whinging about umpiring decisions oh, in their post-match. And, mm-hmm. and it's really time that the AFL made them pay. Because as soon as like a John Longmire or Ross Lyons steps out of line, paying money. Yep. Please explain why are you saying this. So, yeah, he's, he's got a track record. And, and it's not a good look. I mean, your team's just lost by a point in a very... And a pretty awesome match, a very, I guess it could be an influential match in the way that the finals get structured, especially with the last round coming up. But they had a chance to win it. Radagalia missed a snap with about, what, 40 seconds left on the clock? Yeah. So. They they had yeah. enough dominance up to three-quarter time. They could have been up by five goals by then. Exactly. But they didn't. They put three goals on in three minutes. They could have put on a lot more if their forward 50 entry wasn't so crap for so long. Mm-hmm. But anyway, look, uh, it's time to move on to the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll kick things off on the good, and my good is Ben Brown. He kicked Ooh, yes, ten this of was an amazing the game. best. Yes, so uh, Krusty the Clown, or... Uh, Sideshow Bob. Sideshow Bob. Uh, Depends on which way you want to look at the hair. He was uh, at his absolutely lethal best. This was Buddy Franklin kick a 10 against Carlton Esque. He had the ball on a string. Every time it went forward, it went to him. But at the same time, Port Adelaide were giving him so much space. It may as well have just been Pagan's paddock all over again, Josh. Mm, yep. Yep, Port was shocking. Uh, ben Brown was amazing. He really had his mojo on. And... GWS must be <laughs> GWS must be really happy that they rested Jeremy Cameron this oh, week. But uh, God. with that performance, Ben Brown has not only caught up the six goals he needed to equal on the Coleman, he's now gone four ahead of Jeremy Cameron. So Ben yeah. Brown may be this year's Coleman medalist after that, which will make which will make Stephen Park really happy being yep. a fellow Taswegian. <laughs> yes, and he has missed out the last couple of years. He's been very close. But perhaps the highlight of the night and the highlight of his 10-goal effort was when he kicked his first behind after kicking 10 straight, the entire stadium booed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did. A very small crowd of like 16,000, every single one of them booed. Kangaroos fans included. Yeah. Port Adelaide fans booed him for kicking it behind <laughs> because they wanted more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. There was uh, a bit of a uh, bit of laughs about it afterwards. But Josh, uh, could you give me your good, please? Yep. Already spoken about it. That is Mr. Oliver Florence. Look, the kid's a gun. I can't wait to see what he's going to bring us next year. I just like the way he's come along. Um, he's clearly going to be a big part of our future midfield. Oliver Florence, you're good. Yeah, he is. He's really good. Now for the bad, and uh, my bad is both those Adelaide teams are a walking disaster at the moment. (laughs) I I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like where one team gets spanked and the other team gets spanked even harder, but they're both in and outside of the eight depending on which team's getting spanked the worst. Yeah. Oh, Adelaide were horrible, but poor Adelaide, wow. For a team who's desperate to hang on to the eight, oh, Yep. 
if Port Adelaide have another bad game this week, um, so my, my bad is actually Port Adelaide as well, based off the, the game against North. If Port Adelaide lose another game this week and lose it badly, I reckon Ken Hinckley's job's done. In fact, it might already yeah. be done after what happened this week, but uh, both of those Adelaide teams are shocking. And, oh, yeah. You know, Port Adelaide recruit a lot of good players, uh, not last season, the season before, then had to let guys like Polak go. Um, because of salary cap pressure. Pittard um, as well. And they were both Jasper great. Pittard. They were both great against them as well. They were really good for North, weren't they? They were. Um, and the Crows, there is absolutely no reason for a list with that much talent on it to be playing as shithouse as they are. <laughs> oh, they are. They are an, an, an embarrassment. And uh, Don Pike, oh, God. This might be the season where we see just wholesale changes in coaching ranks. Yep. And, uh, I mean, honestly... I don't know whether or not I should keep my ugly because my ugly might be a bit delayed. I'm actually going to drop in two uglies on this one. My first ugly is the fact that the AFL have had a massive knee-jerk reaction to Jack Rewalt's attempted marks against West Coast where he used his studs in the yep. back of the player to push off and take the mark. Twice marked, twice, uh, once kicked a goal. Both of them were called a free kick against. Mm-hmm. And the AFL has come out and they've said... They should have stayed. They were incorrectly ruled. We're changing the interpretation. They should have been marks. Right. I hate that because the rule was there. It was clear. Don't use studs. Yeah. Yep. Players can still get injured. If they're serious about that sort of stuff, that's what happened when Adam Goods copped an absolute walloping of a knee from David Neitz back in 2012, 2013. When Neitz tried to go for a mark that he that dropped short about five meters, and he still absolutely careened into the back of him and gave him an epic knee right in the spine. Yeah, man, that whole realistic mark that that may as well be called the David Neitz mark or the David Neitz rule because yep. that's where it came from. So, look, my second ugly, and it's a short one, Chris Judd, just straight up Chris Judd. <laughs> now you know why, don't you? Yeah, this is all about him not backing Tegan. And Teague's now the uh, Carlton coach, and he's won, what, like six of their last nine matches? Yeah. And his comments about, oh, we're not going to look at Teague, he's not experienced enough. What a what an effing idiot. What a muppet. Yeah, now this might be um, David Teague might be to Carlton fans what Paul Riswell stars. Yeah. Yeah, he, he auditioned, and he auditioned very well. But Chris Judd, man, walk the plank. Yeah, be interesting to see how the Blues goes next year when they've got some expectations on them, though. Yeah, well, if they can maintain their exciting football, they might actually be uh, in a good good sort of stead, good place. But you're ugly, please, Josh. Yep, I'm just going to read three words out here, and this is the third time this year I've used these three words, and that is D's are shit. I think that's the third time we use it tonight. Possibly, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I've had them as my ugly threat. This oh, is the third yeah. time I've had as my ugly this year, and each time I said D's are shit. shit. Yes. And I stand by that statement. No, I 100% agree. I don't think we need to elaborate. We'll just go back and... Watch, watch the last month of football, where they where they have either been dreadful for four quarters or dreadful for three quarters. It doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. They were last week. They were great for one quarter. Looked like they might actually be Collingwood, and then just absolute rubbish for three quarters. Yep. beyond rubbish. That second quarter was pure pure shit. So, yep. yeah, yeah, screw them. Uh, Simon Goodwood must be clutching that three-year contract like a uh, a good old blanket. Yep. I don't. Yeah. Think well, he will need some dramatic improvement next year if he's going to keep his job. I think. I don't think he's keeping his job. I I think uh, I think there's going to be a serious shake-up in the off-season. They can't keep going like that. They can't. 
the AFL needs them. Melbourne That's needs true. them. That's true. So, yeah, poor old Melbourne faithful. I, I actually genuinely feel bad for them now. Yeah, so do I. And you only had to look at, you know, actually we should bring this up. I can't believe I didn't mention this. <laughs> Bruce McAvaney was on fire this week, absolutely on fire. He had a he had a few funny moments during his commentary. Um, he was doing very well during that game. Uh, during uh, the halftime break, I think it was, they were playing um, shots of you know the the crowds that the D's were getting to games last year. Um, yeah, and then they started showing the the, the crowds <laughs> they were getting to games this year, and they had some Barbara Streisand song playing in the background. Oh God. And, um, yeah, Bruce Mack was just he, he was paying out on, on the demons without <laughs> without openly paying out on them. It was very classily done. It was very funny. I should have had that in the goods at some stage. Um, but if anyone could find the footage of that, I would love to put that up on on the blog. I thought it was pretty classy. It was very well done. But they're just dreadful. Uh, yeah, and it's amazing to think that these guys went to a preliminary final last year and they were getting fifty five, sixty thousand fans to a game. And here we are on a Barely Friday night 20. at the MCG. We get 23,000 to a home game when they were going in as favourites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a, it's a weird one. And it just sort of goes to show just how quickly things can turn around with North Melbourne scoring, what, 14 points one week? Yeah. And then they score the highest score of the season, 142 the following week. And and good on them, and yeah. good on them for backing it up with the change the next week. That's a you know, that was that was an exceptional game by them. As bad as Port was to put on one hundred and forty four, oh they flogged them. something right. It was, oh, they were good. Four quarters of flogging is what it was, and they didn't they didn't let go. They didn't relent. They just went screw you. We're putting you to the sword. Yep. And, and good on them. They they played quality football, and Port Adelaide were just garbage. But it's not often to get to this point of the season where you've got six teams that are just putrid. Mm-hmm. It's usually 18th. But Anyway, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure again. Yep, thanks for having me. Apologies to our listeners for my audio. I'm still in Queensland on holiday and I'm doing this on my mobile phone, so uh, I don't exactly have a quality <laughs> microphone in front of me. <laughs> oh, I don't think the audio mattered that much. As always, you can find us on social media. Feel free to drop us a review. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the tags of Swans Blog and Swans Cast Podcast. We'll be back on Thursday to record our preview for the Round 23 match. Uh, until next time, go Swans. Go Swannies. Go Swannies.